good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome back to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Bloody FM, the number one horror podcast network out there. And thank you to Charlie Lawrence and the most for our always catchy theme, The Friends Song. I'm your host, Michael, Mr. Bojman, Rothman, <laughs> stealing that nickname from Wolfman Mac, who Definitely cemented Mr. Bojman Bo- <laughs> in our eyes and ears and minds forever with our night shift coverage, which you could go back to six years ago uh, when we when we covered uh, the, the Boogeyman. But today, we're covering more Boogeyman. Already, you've probably listened to our audio drama, which was written by Dan Caffrey, stars Ashley Cassidy, our, our fellow co-host here, uh, The Boogeyman Mortality Rate. So I hope you enjoyed that original story. Now we're starting to get into our traditional coverage, and uh, we're going to be doing that today by interviewing Rob Savage, uh, the director of the film. And I'm not alone. Guess who's with me? Hey, it's the Boogeyman! No, ah! this is... <laughs> this is... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. We're not done being an audio drama yet. We're no. just going to keep doing gaffing <laughs> effects the entire time. But, Definitely you know, not. Please introduce yourself. Hey, this is Jen to the Rage Adams. And yes, we're talking about the Boogeyman, which is one of my... The first short stories I ever read by King. Still one of my favorites. I reread it the other day. Still kicks ass. I love it. So yeah, I can't wait to talk to Rob Savage. And I'm also a you, huge fan of Host too. So oh, I was really going to ask you because Host is still my favorite horror movie of the last decade or at this decade, which they call the 2020s. Right? This is the I roaring so, yeah. 20s. <laughs> yes, um, or the not so roaring 20s the by comparison. Age? Um, yeah. The Gilded Age. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the wonderful era where we're you know on the cusp of climate change and it's been all this just other banger shit. after banger. For yeah, the last it's just years, wonderful you know? stuff. <laughs> Um, but no, Host was just uh, just absolute banger for me, speaking mm-hmm. of bangers. Um, the 50-minute movie that came out in 2020 during the pandemic. And I just remember just being overwhelmed by how ingenious it felt uh-huh. and how awesome it was. And I, I actually have not gone back to it. I just, I didn't want to ruin that experience. So I've, uh, you know, but what about you? Have you, is this one that's on your rewatch uh, list all the time for you? It's not, but I watch Unfriended a lot. So I love the screen, like the, Me too. that particular brand of heart of found footage. Um, I actually clicked close the thing on the screen, you know, at the end of the movie, or I yeah. tried to, cause you know, it's not real. Um, but no, I've watched it a couple of times and it still scares me just as much. I love it. I think I spied um, host in the boogeyman. Actually. I think one of the characters oh. is watching it. If I, I've only seen it once but i think i did so a little easter egg there yeah um, or a little boogeyman Ooh. egg uh, maybe they have <laughs> eggs i think so maybe i mean Spoiler. how else are they gonna reproduce Nobody's... that's true little Bo- uh bojman juniors right that you can... <laughs> and it's like maybe maybe like bojman is like uh henry jane henry jones senior in uh indiana jones and then bojman juniors so then you have like the big Bo- boogeyman it's just like junior <laughs> and it's like it's running around Boge. okay Clearly, I've just been thinking enough about another June movie, uh, the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. But anyway, we're not talking about Dial of Destiny or Indiana Jones. We're talking about the Boogeyman. And we're going to be talking a lot about the Boogeyman because, as I mentioned, Rob Savage is here. Let's get to that interview right now. Hey. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, This is uh, Michael Rothman. We've been... I've been emailing you nonstop. I apologize for the last few years. Uh, just for dying no, to get you on. Done. This is my co-host, Jen Adams. Hi. Nice hey. to meet you. You too. Nice. Evil Dead too. That's awesome. I was just, just going to say. I yeah. yeah. I just spent <laughs> some of my other podcast Halloweenies. We we spent the whole year going through the, the Evil Dead movies and um, 
I just God, the history for those movies are just so much fun to dive into. But um, it's my favorite. It's my favorite horror movie series. Of it's all so time. good. I mean, it's there isn't a real weak link in the bunch, and I just I love how like just epic they get every time they go. I mean, like the fact that there's even a movie like Army of Darkness in that franchise is pretty insane. The fact that that movie exists at all is right? some kind of miracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, What's well, on your walls? So I got. Well, usually I have a heat poster, but now it's singles, Cameron Crowe singles, and yeah, a replacements a poster. Jen's got so many things on her wall. I have, but. yeah, I've got Hereditary and Assassination Nation in there. And then oh, nice. you can't see, but I'm always looking at Terminator 2 also. <laughs> my favorite movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Assassination Nation is such an underrated movie. Right? It's so good. I One of my all-time favorites. Yeah. I just want to for the first time. I saw a preview <laughs> screening in London. I saw it on the IMAX. Oh, wow. Way too oh cold. my gosh. Just super overwhelming. Uh-huh. And, uh, I just thought it would be the biggest thing in the world. And then it kind Me of. Me too. Fell. I was yeah. like, I got to get there on opening night because there are going to be lines and I have to make sure I'm there. And I was just, <laughs> yeah. you know, hey, if you're listening to it, go see Assassination Nation because it's, it's, it's so a, good. It's a pity nothing else happened with that Sam Levinson guy. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely nothing at all, yeah. right? Um, oh, and I can make an argument that Euphoria is horror also. So. Yeah, that is true. That is Euphoria true. Is, Euphoria is sometimes a bit too nasty for me. Like, I know. <laughs> seriously. Yeah, especially, God, what was the what was the episode with the during the pandemic that dropped also? Where it's, just, it's literally just a conversation. Oh, but like mm-hmm. that episode hit so home and I was just like, I can't handle this. Like, like, I, I, gotta oh. take a, yeah, yeah. I need to have a cigarette or something. Absolutely. Um, well, we've all been talking about our faves, but we got to talk about, I mean, it's the easiest question is... Just your relationship to Stephen King over the years, Rob. I mean, I, yeah. I've been wanting to start there because I will say this is going to sound so stalkerish, but I do recall when you were doing an interview for host, I saw a number of Stephen King books on your bookshelf, and I was like, "Holy shit, this guy has got to get on the podcast." <laughs> He's yeah, clearly yeah. a Stephen King fan. So, what is your relationship to him over the years? Well, he was his stories were kind of like forbidden fruit to me as a kid. I was like, I was my parents were very. My, very, my parents were very keen not to fuck me up. And I think in doing so, it really <laughs> did fuck me up. They um, they tried to raise me. I mean, I was raised like vegan, no salt, no sugar, like nothing, none, no wow. fun stuff, no TV for, for a little while. They gave up on that eventually. But like especially no scary movies and no scary stories. Like King was King was one of those things that like, I don't even know how I first heard about Stephen King. It's one of those, like, they're almost like these these kind of monolithic stories that just exist and just are in your head. You know, like I knew about The Shining and I knew about Carrie burning the prom down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like ended up in my mind through osmosis somehow. And um, and yeah, whenever I raised King to my parents, they said, absolutely not. So <laughs> I, I got my hands on one of his short story collections um a couple a couple of them i can't remember what i read first i think it was either skeleton crew or night shift and mm. um which perfectly suited me because i was like not a huge reader as a kid i got better and better as i moved into my moody teenage years but i certainly didn't have you know the capacity to read something like the shining and i remember seeing that and and that being that was the ultimate goal that was like that was um you know that was like the horror bible that one day i'd, I'd mm. graduate to but i started with his stories his short stories like some of them, some of them I really kind of gleefully read the really gory, kind of garish ones, like the Mangler. I used to love, oh, and, love the um, Mangler, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and trucks, and and you know the fun, the fun, gory, splashy, kind of like you know almost like kind of like cartoonishly, ingeniously simple short stories. And then in amongst them, there'd be stories like the Boogeyman, which just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me why they why they were disturbing me so much but just I, f- I felt like they were touching on a more adult kind of horror that I wasn't that I wasn't quite prepared for I mean you know you can you can have a lot of fun reading a story like trucks where it's 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 people getting smushed by by you know by um by cars and and hiding out in gas stations but reading something like the boogeyman where it dealt so much with real life trauma and just then and, and i think also like the nastiness of some of his characters the nastiness of that billings character oh, yeah. yeah yes and um 
And also I remember reading Children of the Corn and just finding the, the most horrible part of that was the opening where they're just like being such dickheads to each yeah, other. It's true. And, <laughs> and I and and yeah, so I got this, I got this, the overriding sense of reading those short story collections was that I'd maybe kind of waded a little too far into into waters that I wasn't prepared for. I think I was like 12, 13 <laughs> when I was reading. That was around when I was reading them. <laughs> yeah. And uh and yeah, and a lot of them stuck with. Oh, um, uh, what's it called? Graveyard Shift was another big one for me with the Rat Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then you know, and then from there, I, I, I mean, I read, I read from there chronologically. I think the first I read Carrie was the first like novel that I read, mm-hmm. which I loved, and and yeah, I was about. 15 maybe and I remember I remember kind of like checking to look that nobody was watching and then trying to make things levitate off my desk <laughs> yeah Jen's done this multiple times I definitely still did that. does this to this I, day I still do so. it <laughs> yeah I think everyone I'm gonna get there does. one day <laughs> <laughs> um and then I read forward from there I read the, the, like um uh pet cemetery and um oh yeah god mm-hmm. just a few you know the, the just I, I I definitely I definitely kind of latched onto the bigger titles first mm-hmm. that I'd floating around and and um uh pet cemetery really disturbed me yeah that's and, that's one of my favorites and it's I've noticed that um I can't read it as much now that I'm older and I have kids and it just but I used to read that over and over again when I was younger and so is your relationship with King and the story still kind of, are you still searching for that nasty scare or have you noticed like you're, you're drawn towards some of his more like deeper novels and what are some of your favorites? I, I kind of just, I kind of just, I've read a kind of grab bag of, of his novels. I, I, I mm-hmm. still, still haven't got into the, like the dark tower or some of these, uh, these, mm-hmm. these, these bigger kind of um, series. And it's on my, it's on my bucket list, you know, like I've got, <laughs> there are still, um, there are still kind of like classic King titles that I, that I haven't read. Like I've just mm-hmm. got, I've got Salem's lot sitting on my nightstand. Oh. I've just started, um, just got this that I've started. Oh, I've Ooh. been wanting to see, I've been, we've been covering this for six years and I haven't gotten to that book yet. And I've, mm-hmm. I've been hearing so much about revival for ages and how mean and how dark it is and how it's like kind it's of classic really King. mean and dark. And I, I mean, I haven't got to the, I mean, I, I kind of, I actually got the end kind of, spoiled although it seems to be it seems to be touching on weird kind of lovecrafty territory that he's he's um traversed before yeah but, uh, it's the gut punch of an ending but if you like pet cemetery you'll love revival they're very okay. they're like really spiritually connected um and one of the things i love about pet cemetery is you know there's there's this movement about talking about folk horror and horror and in the states we kind of think of stephen king as folk horror he writes about a lot of americana and i was just mm. wondering you know obviously you were saying king was kind of a ubiquitous author when you were growing up but is it that same kind of feeling in the uk yeah i mean you, you folk horror is like is, is is our horror currency really in the uk right yeah <laughs> a lot of our you know a lot of our movies kind of exist in that exist in that space, and it's a bit infuriating, really, because it's, <laughs> it's really all we know how to do anymore. We used oh. to we used to be much more wide ranging, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up in a small I grew up in a small town that was kind of um, pleasant and folksy on its surface, and and felt a, like like it had a kind of under, undercurrent of meanness and prejudice underneath the surface and that's something mm. he really taps into he takes these kind of um you know somewhat kind of idyllic american suburbs or, or small town communities and and scratches at that darkness underneath you know books like books like it felt very, very familiar mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah and i think there's also i think because of because of the 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 amount of american pop culture that we consume over here in the uk it kind of feels like we all grew up in one of King's small towns, even though we, even though we didn't, it feels like mm. the kind of American coming of age experience is we've almost kind of co-opted that. I remember the first time I went to the state, I went to, to Utah for Sundance and saw some of like these little kind of quaint American streets. And I mm-hmm. kind of felt like it was coming home in a weird way, or like I was visiting mm. back into my childhood because so many movies and books and, and that was just the iconography of childhood for us. Mm. Oh, we, I love that. we had a, you know, your colleague Jed on and he yeah. was, when we had him on The Shining, which I, 
I still say thank you so much to him because he was just like, it was like a three and a half hour episode. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I did, sorry, we, you know, we keep going forever. And he's like, oh, no, it's fine. And, you know, it's The Shining. How the hell are you going to not spend yeah. three hours on it? But one of the things we discussed in there is just the the idea of, um, you know, horror being this sort of, um, you know, taboo thing. Like you, you couldn't touch it. You couldn't, you couldn't, you know, you'd have to seek it out. And especially in the UK mm-hmm. with just coming off of the, you know, the whole video nasties and everything. Was Stephen King for you sort of lumped in that? I know you said your parents were like, no, 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 no deal, like no deal on King. But was it just, would you say even his movies, you even beyond the books, like oh, there were complete, some that felt like forbidden? Yeah, complete, completely his movies. And, 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 uh, you know, at first this was a kind of byproduct of, of, um, you know, my parents trying to, trying to keep me away from, scary gory movies but i started out as as a as a bit of a gore hound and the movies mm. that i was trying to was trying to get my hands on were well it was the video nasties list it was it that was that came as a kind of pre-baked um tick list of movies <laughs> yeah. to work through so i was going through those and you know like i think i actually this is kind of sacrilegious but i think i actually watched the mangler before i watched the shining you know <laughs> <laughs> well you can only go up that's the thing right. yeah i love it's, i love the mangler hey, but jesus yeah there are some great there are some great moments in the mangler yeah. I like mm. yeah. i'm a kind of uh i'm a kind of toby hooper late to- toby hooper apologist but yeah. um uh-huh. but you know so I, like i was after um you know robert england getting folded into you know into <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> folded on top of himself and moments like that and then it was it was um yeah, the, the movie movies like The Shining they kind of cast a long shadow, and and felt there there there's a there's a few there's a few movies that felt like they would they would almost kind of like change you after when you watch them. The Shining was one of those movies that had this um this aura around it uh as something as something that was gonna um that was gonna kind of scare you to your core beyond just um. You know, gore and 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 special effects, and I remember watching it watching it for the first time, and it kind of felt like, and I still feel this way when I watch when I watch The Shining. It feels like uh, it doesn't really resemble movies. It doesn't even feel like a movie. It feels like yeah, it's a good it does, like the the um, and I get and all you know, and I think all of all of the reasons that it's got this this uniqueness around it are the reasons that King doesn't like it because King <laughs> is a born. He's a born storyteller. He can't help mm-hmm. it. You know, he's not somebody who just kind of spins mood. He really wants to take you on a journey, and he's got the audience front and center in his mind at all times, and and feels like he's holding your hand through every story. He's he's, he's leading you down a a clear path. Whereas Kubrick is much more interested in um, in ideas and atmosphere, and and um, really, you know, especially in, especially in The Shining is is. Uh, is kind of completely, um, completely uninterested in in telling the story of the novel, the story of a, a descent into madness. He starts it from he starts the movie in a place of madness, and yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it and, and you know the interesting thing as well is that the the version that I that I've seen most and grew up on is the European cut of The Shining, which is even mm-hmm. more elliptical. It cuts forty five minutes out of the American cut. In fact, I don't think the American cut is very good. Um, but the the uh, you know so so the, the European cut doesn't even have that preamble where you talk about Jack having gone to AA and and him curbing yeah. his drinking. It just it starts with uh, his interview and then Honey, I got the job and then they're at the Overlook and oh my god, <laughs> yeah, wow. no, it, that's interesting. That is so. There's no because uh, it feels like in the American version. It's one of the reasons I don't like the American version is it feels like Kubrick is trying to appease both it's he's trying to kind of pay lip service to this this um you know into into jack's addiction and to to the 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 um the kind of descent into into hysteria that he's going to take but he's not really interested in that he's 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 allowing jack nicholson to start at a 10 and build from there and Mm. uh the european cup kind of owns that in a way that's that's much more um that's much more confident and um and again, just just feels like it's not interested in, um, it's not interested in, in leading you down a familiar path. It feels a bit more lunatic and a bit more mm-hmm. unhinged and a bit more unsafe. And and mm-hmm. all of those all of those things were hugely um, influential on me and felt yeah felt like 
felt like that that movie kind of imparted a curse on you when you watched it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. images that, I mean, it's the thing that we, we really went on long about was just how, you know, it's been memefied to death. I mean, like even during the pandemic, like everyone was just using countless GIFs and everything else. And yet still there is a power to that film. Like it doesn't matter. Like it, it's like it, the pop culture consciousness can't break it, which is, yeah. The durability between that, it's just, it's so rare. You never get that these days. But I wanted to kind of lean on what you were just saying about, especially with the way that Kubrick, you know, approached King's material. You're now in that seat of being able to, of doing that. You know, you, you've made a Stephen King movie. Where did you lie mostly in terms of just how you wanted to approach this material? Would you, would you, did you want to lean less on the, the narrative aspect or did you, you say, you know, it was very influential on you, like the, his approach mm. to The Shining. Would you say that kind of washed over a little bit in going into the boogeyman? Yeah, I think the 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 thing that interested me it was was building on the short story, but making it feel like every way in which we were building it out felt true to King's canon, felt true to his writing, felt true true to his his um his characters and the humanity of his writing, and didn't feel like we were cheapening, but that we were building on the themes he was discussing in the original boogeyman short story and that that meant that the the part of the movie that's dealing with grief and with loss had to be meaty and dramatic and 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 not like a kind of typical horror movie version of of those of those scenes because that's one of the things that I remember so vividly from the short story I mean I remember that and I remember Lester's just how kind of wantonly racist misogynist and nasty the Lester Billings character is which is something we we leaned away from it almost feels like the the (laughs) short story well the short the short story is kind of and maybe this is maybe this is projecting a kind of 2023 read on it, but it almost seems like a kind of a deconstruction of what you would now call toxic masculinity. That you've got this character who's defensive in his in his in his masculinity that he'd he'd blame he'd blame this supernatural creature rather than letting any of that fall on himself. Mm-hmm. All of that is part of his defense mechanism and his his inability to deal with the trauma that he's been through. And then at the end of the story, you know, this is the cruelty of the short stories at the end of at the end of the short story when he's like, okay, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to start to pick <laughs> pick apart at myself. It's exactly when the creature takes off its skin suit and uh yeah. puts him to rest. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there's the, the the kind of like the 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 inability to like deal with and confront loss head on was something that that, that resonated with me from the story. The idea of it being a, a therapy session, it being about somebody who you know, in, in Lester Billings' words, just wants to tell his story, just to tell it is enough. That. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was it was a short story that's about communication and it's about speaking to speaking to the 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 um the darkness that's just underneath the surface of of um of our everyday life and and that part of the part of what the creature represented in that short story and, the rep, and what what it certainly represents in our movie was the unspoken it's everything these characters don't want to speak to and our Lester Billings comes into Will's Will Harper's office knowing that Will has has also gone through a tragedy and it is kind of asking in this final you know in his final moments to be seen and to be heard which is all that we really all that we really want as 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 human beings and is is really the only way that we get through those dark times is by leaning on each other and 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 um finding our common truth and so the creature then in our in our story kind of represents the unspoken it's all the things that these characters can't put voice to um and unable to confront which i love and i this is one of the first stories i remember reading as a kid and being introduced to stephen king and i think i was just really fascinated by how nasty it is you know Mm. and and your your film just feels so much more hopeful like it is terrifying and there are moments like you feel how low these characters are but it does have a hopeful quality to it and I was wondering you know you were kind of talking about how you approach the tone but I think there's there's a reading of the story that um Lester actually killed his children and that the boogeyman is not real and so one of the things I love about your film is you can kind of see it both ways is like it is a monster but it also is a metaphor for 
the things you're afraid to say. Is that how you see it? Like, do you, do you think the boogeyman is real or is it more the metaphor, you know? I think I think you've got to fall on one side or the other, or else you end up in in, in kind of ponderous territory. And I definitely mm-hmm. you know, this 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 movie ends as a kind of hard horror movie with a, with a, a real flesh and blood creature. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I too kind of love the the ambiguity of the short story and that idea that this is somebody who has spun this story in order to cope either with his own culpability or with his um, you, you know, the the fact that he is he's maybe killed these kids and you feel, and King kind of invites you to feel like he might be a threat to will that this mm-hmm. you know, that will is this guy who you know who exists in a space of uh of ideas and he's a very he's very cerebral and you kind of get the sense that the lester billings in the short story has kind of oil stained hands and is more a kind of worldly man and that they're from different social stratas and there's a lot a lot of stuff that king's kind of chewing on and you feel like this guy might suddenly leap across the desk and and put his hands around will's neck and then, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the clever reversals in the short story. And we kind of wanted to do the same thing here with, with even though we kind of took a more sympathetic, um, empathetic approach to, to Lester Billings, you want, it wanted to be a character who, who was, was, you felt a kind of yearning in, a yearning to be, to be, to be heard and understood at the same time. And David plays this so beautifully in a moment, he can suddenly turn and you feel this, this simmering violence in his performance and there are certain things that will says that then triggers this this um you feel this kind of monster awakening in him and you feel like maybe this guy killed his kids maybe he's dangerous and then we've got this you know one of one of the fun things about the movie is the um the first big set piece you know apart from the opening scene isn't to do with the creature it's 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 lester billings kind of running a wall in the house and uh Mm -hmm. you feeling like you don't quite know what he could do to to Sadie if he if he finds her and how the you know you feel these two are on a collision course and you're not sure quite how that's going to manifest in a supernatural way or in a kind of terrifyingly real world way yeah. and um, that's yeah that's one of the things that we had fun kind of playing around with from the short story Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, and speaking of duality, you know, you mentioned the uh, Dr. Harper takes off his his Dr. Harper mask and it's the yeah. boogeyman. And one of the the centerpieces of the movie, and I love it, is this red flashing scene, you know, where yes. they're in the, the other therapist's office. And there's a moment where the therapist, she's got these great glasses. And, you know, I, so I was wondering, did you have that in mind? Do you think that the therapist has any kind of connections with the boogeyman? Um, is that what you were going for in that scene yeah i kind of wanted to be teasing the 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 stephen king fans throughout this movie with (laughs) with little references to the short story i mean we we Mm. knew that we weren't going to go quite as far as in the short story but um but but you know that that therapist's office space we wanted to make it feel unsafe and otherworldly and as though as though that might uh you know what happened in the trans in the short story might transpire um in this red light scene and and shooting um Lisa Gay, the therapist, in 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 that sinister way, and then the, you know, there's there's it was it was part of um, I won't spoil it, but like what one of the one of the aspects of design in the in the creature is this this um this kind of weird Lovecraftian body horror moment that happens towards the end where the the that you reveal this kind of um, inner dimension to the creature, which is um, it's not quite him taking off a skin suit, but it's this idea of there being something underneath the the veneer that we see and that mm-hmm. was another way of of 
kind of harking back to the short story and, and the short story kind of touches upon this the the idea of the creature as a mimic the creature that kind of um mm -hmm. which is well, so obviously scary. you know yeah. can mimic dr harper but even uh in the way that lester describes it as, as as being able to kind of mimic sounds around your house that you you can kind of hear the creature moving within and underneath um mm. and we, we kind of extrapolated that into this idea of the creature learning um learning your voice or learning the voice of people around you and it's again it's another idea of of these people in the house who are you know who, who are your family and are going through the same experience of of grieving are almost becoming strangers to each other and this creature can kind of build on this this iciness and isolation and and um and also kind of taunt you with with the voice of your lost loved ones where there's a lot of a lot of um the mother's voice that comes through in the creature after after it's heard her on this um uh home video it starts yeah. to kind of use that back at back at them um, that was that was my favorite scene i, I mean yeah. i just that the whole zooming into the just hearing it trying again and again as it repeats it just uh just really yeah. got under my skin but it also made me think like there is was there just a, a deep rule book or lore book that you had to kind of create for this i mean i know that you know, there's not a lot on the page, right? It's 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 pretty amorphous, mm. you know. So, did that give you a fun sandbox to work in, um, or did you really kind of have to like sit there and go, "All right, what what the fuck is this thing?" <laughs> like, yeah, no, totally. I mean, you gotta set you gotta set some rules up, and I kind of put together this this um, bible for the for the creature that we had. Um, you know, one of the interesting things is it's 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 Stephen King's The Boogeyman. It harks back to this short story that a lot of people read and, and love but it's also it's also just the boogie it's also the boogeyman which is something that we've all got our own associations with and um we all you know whether we called it that or not the boogeyman is basically the first thing that you imagine in the darkness as you're a kid it's it's something that's that's um that means something to all of us and we wanted to also kind of um take that character if you want to call it a character and and make it feel fresh and scary again and 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 also you know try try and put people back into that into that feeling of being a terrified little kid in the darkness like that was the, the, you know the boogeyman and all all these other short stories by king were were some of the nightmare fuel that made me a particularly terrified kid who was you know <laughs> made sure that my my leg was tucked under the quilt so that so that nothing grabbed me um and i felt like if i could make audiences feel that way um you know as adults in a, in a movie theater that that would be something worth doing and so part of it was taking this law that we all kind of understand you know it's like i mean in the introduction to night shift that there were there were a few quotes that i pulled from king and i put them above my desk when we were working on the movie um and he talks about this i this idea that um that as we read horror stories we all know rationally that these things can't can't get us and yet still you wake up in the middle of the night and your your arm is is fallen out from underneath the, uh -huh. the covers you pull it back under for, for that for that sense of safety and and it was about taking this very simple mythology it's the boogeyman you know it lives in the basement it lives in the darkness it lives under your bed you know you know almost instinctively that you you know you you pull the quilts up over your head, you turn on your bedside lamp and you're in a little oasis of safety. So we had this idea of um, creature that thrives in darkness and, and light is the thing that pushes it back. It's not, um, it's not about trying to be, trying to be clever and trying to reinvent the law, but it was about trying to find new ways to make that evocative and scary and, and uh, unique. So we were playing a lot with, the light sources you know we came up with this idea of the 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 moon ball and the the flashing video game lights and different ways to kind of dramatize that that idea of of light and dark and then also i wanted it to feel like uh more like a kind of haunted house movie than a, a creature feature so we kind of came up with this idea that the creature almost like almost like monsters inc rules this thing can travel through <laughs> darkness it can materialize in a in a kind of ethereal supernatural way but it's actually, but it is a thing of flesh and blood. But darkness is almost the gateway by which it enters. Um, mm -hmm. It enters our world and our physical space. Um, so it can, 
follow you it can you know it can, if you move house you're not gonna uh be able to run away from this thing it's gonna be there wherever there is darkness lurking mm-hmm yeah, I have in my some of my bios, I thrive in darkness because I just love it. I would rather have the lights out or I would rather it be a stormy day than uh-huh. a sunny one. Um, and that's one of the things I love about this movie is it's so dark and it feels mm. like the dark is almost a character in the movie as well. Um, is that it, so how did you kind of approach filming in such a dark way and just kind of bringing the light in? Because I also mm-hmm. love the the moon ball and I actually have one of those, too. And I oh, took yeah. it out of my kid's room because I was like, I'm not going to it's yeah, not going to yeah. roll into the bed tonight. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, how did you approach shooting such a dark movie, but still providing little bits of light in it? It was um, it was it was about trying to, you know, I I. I I feel like when you're making a horror movie, you kind of like teach an audience how to watch your movie. You teach them mm. the language, the language of how you're going to scare them. Um, and then you can kind of weaponize that against them. It's one of the things we tried to do in Host and, and, and Dashcam. Yeah. And here the idea was you, you really don't see very much of the creature. You kind of imply its presence in these dark spaces. You have this kind of cat's eye thing where they, they, these eyes glint back at you from the darkness, but really you allow the audience to make an association with, where whenever they see a dark space, they imagine the creature is going to be lurking there. And even if you don't have to show it, every time you have darkness in the frame, the audience then becomes like a detective. They lean forward and they search the frame yeah. for where you're going to scare them. And, you know, there are scares in this movie where something will appear out of, a, out of a dark space or it will just be sitting there with this little glint of light on it. And the audience becomes aware very quickly that this this house and the, the these compositions are filled with areas of darkness where this creature could be lurking. And so we designed the movie to have these very limited little pockets of light um, Eli Bourne, our amazing cinematographer, would always be working on ways to um, to kind of have this kind of sense of a cavernous dark space behind the characters. And then Jeremy Woodward, our, our amazing production designer, actually built these houses. You know, they're not real houses that they're, they're constructed on sets to my storyboards. And he would be looking for ways to build in um, archways or doorways or, or kind of twisty uh, uh, hallways. So there was always this kind of... Uh, imagined presence even when the creature wasn't there mm-hmm. it's a similar thing to host you know half of the scares in host come from characters sitting with open doorways totally. behind them I mean, yeah i mean mike if your door was open behind you on the <laughs> zoom call that'd be a great horror frame you oh know, absolutely maybe, yeah <laughs> maybe over the course of the call it would just slowly kind of creak open and yeah. uh yeah no, honestly that's some of my favorite horrors like the peripheral mm-hmm. horror is just is i mean that's what really got me with host also and, and you know mentioned dash cam that's the same thing you know, those two films, you know, obviously found footage mold. Was it easier to shoot in the darkness with that versus, you know, the more featured, you know, length narrative that you have here, um, you yeah. know, the more traditional style? What was easier for you? <laughs> because I feel like that I, on one hand, I would, I would imagine, you know, having to, to block and shoot in these sets a lot more difficult to be able to get the the shots. But then again, I'm thinking, well, if you're getting footage from Zoom, this must be fucking impossible to get some of <laughs> yeah. the darkness. So I I think that it, it, it's it's an interesting thing because when you're making a movie on Zoom or you're making a movie that's shot on an iPhone, the language is built in. It just has to feel it has to feel authentic and it has to feel like like this. We're on a Zoom call now. There's there's, you know, you know that um your point of view of an audience is attached to a phone or a laptop and why the why the character is still filming and how can we frame it in a way that makes sense but is still scary you know you're still playing with the language of horror but then you're you're kind of transmuting that into uh, a secondary language of 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 zoom or of um you know youtube um content creators or whatever it, whatever it may be the 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 fun thing and the tough thing about making a movie like Boogeyman is suddenly I've got you know I've got studio money and I've got I'm shooting it with real cameras and crews <laughs> and you can kind of do anything so then it becomes about making sure that the film itself has a language and that everything feels uh, purposeful you know one of the things I mean we were talking about it before about King as a as a you know, he's a kind of storyteller in in his in his blood. He's not somebody who just kind of noodles around. He's somebody that likes to um, 
that when you read one of his books or one of his short stories, it feels like you're being very confidently led through a narrative. Yeah. And um, he's, he's, uh, it, it's a really, it's one of the things that makes his book so readable is you can kind of, as, as, as terrifying as they are, you can, there's a slipstream to them that you kind of relax into and he carries you through and makes you, you know, turn the pages to the point where you realize you're, you're halfway through and you've been sitting for four hours and time has just slipped by. And I want, I wanted that same feeling with this, this movie, because it's one of the feelings that I, um, that I respond to more and more as I make movies, when I see a filmmaker who feels so kind of confidently in control of the, the journey he's taking you on and, and um, a filmmaker that has you as the audience member in mind. Um, and so my, the 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 approach to Boogeyman was really one of putting the audience front and center the whole time and trying to think about what experience I wanted them to be having with every single shot of this movie, with everything, every single scene of this movie, and um, creating creating a framework where they could feel like, oh, this guy's got me. You know, I can, mm-hmm. I, can yeah. I can trust and let myself surrender myself to the ride of this movie. Yeah, and you know, it started with the opening scene, which I wanted to shoot in this kind of. Um, this 360 single take yeah. that um that that has a kind of um uh omniscience to it the way the camera kind of move, moves through that space it feels quite quite um it feels quite bold and 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 it builds to this this kind of shocking payoff that that again is like basically us saying to the audience like we're not fucking around mm-hmm. you know, nobody's nobody's safe we're not fucking around and you're you know the the bars come down on this roller coaster and, and <laughs> you know you're um you're in for a ride which is something you do you know with ease with on dash cam i mean you, you're mentioning uh, the idea of just flipping through and not realizing that you're halfway through the book i remember just watching dash cam and feeling like you were literally in the car i mean obviously because you were just the, yeah. in terms of the medium uh but also just not knowing where the fuck we're gonna end up <laughs> like especially like yeah. when you end up at like the play place <laughs> with like the tree from the top. I just remember like turning to my girlfriend and being like, I, I have no idea where this is going anymore. Like this is incre- this is incredible. Like I just the next stage of this is where and you're always in. You always are buckled in, you know, no pun intended. Yeah. But um so I I I did absolutely uh you know grasp that on um you know the last three features that you've done. Um I did want to lean on just that a little bit more just because I think that, you know, when you look at you know, your resume going from found footage to the feature, you know, mold or to the traditional shot. Yeah. Were, yeah. Were, were there other anxieties that you had going into that where you might've been like, well, or did you, were on that same note, were there other moments where you're like, I, I could kind of see this as a found footage uh, film also. Like, did you ever have those moments too? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I was re- I, like, I was really, I was really nervous going into this, having just done two back-to-back fan footage movies shot on an iPhone. It was, it had been about three years since I'd been on a, a real set. You know, I, I, I'd been doing a lot of TV stuff before hosting Dashcam, which what you know was more conventionally shot, bigger, bigger crews. Um, but it's also a different responsibility doing a TV show. It's not something that you're really authoring in the same way, um, and. Uh, yeah, part part of it was just making sure that I didn't didn't lose what was so fun and unique about those movies because I love those movies. I loved making them, and it was really, especially after doing ten years of TV, it was something that really kind of woke me up creatively. And I wanted to make sure that this didn't feel like like a film with less personality than than those movies. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. maybe less personality than Dashcam. Dashcam's got a pretty overbearing personality, but um. The the uh yeah the, the idea of, of making sure that some of that kind of chaos and spontaneity and improvisation from host and dash cam could find its place within this big studio machine. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure I, I my first studio movie, so I wasn't sure what this would be like if I was, if I'd have to fight for to, to bring that in, if that would be eventually, you know, edited out or if that would be something that was just impossible to get across in 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 such a big uh, studio movie, but I mean, credit to credit to the producers and, and the studio. They really let me do my thing on this. They, I, I made this movie in exactly the same spirit as, as host and dash camera. We were able to um, improvise stuff with the actors and let, uh, you know, I would turn up, 
two hours before call time every day and just walk around the set and I'd come up with new things and new oh that's cool you know, and and the you know the crew would get there and I'd say hey look, we, let's let's scrap what we were planning to do we're going to do this scare instead and actually this is this is what the scene's about now and you know that the machine moved a lot a lot more slowly but there was still room for this sense of best idea wins let's keep let's keep throwing in let's keep um let's keep just making sure we check ourselves that we're not just shooting what's on the page because it's on the page but that we're always trying to make the best the best movie possible and mm-hmm. uh there was actually a found footage scene in the movie that we ended up having to cut that was meant to be a kind of um a scene with the um there's a, a kind of pivotal scene where she's got the um she's got a mini tv take uh, camera and is watching back some home video and there was meant to be a kind of extended moment of of the the lights going out and the hearing the creature and her turning on the night vision and doing kind of you know it's like our version of the the um the scene from the descent where she's in the cave with the ah, night vision nice. and mm-hmm. um, yeah. but we ended up cutting we cut it for time and we cut it as well because we we wanted we wanted to have a moment of um gothic emotional um scare that mm. without without ruining it we wanted that 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 scene that scene was more about um Sadie feeling as though um she'd lost her mum you, you know in in a more permanent way now that now that all of her mum's belongings were packed away into the basement it was almost like a kind of um the mum's spirit had been exercised from the house and so we wanted something that was that that was that was bringing that home rather than an, another monster scare mm-hmm well, and I know, you know, it's, it's not just like a studio machine, but now you're part of the Stephen King machine, the adaptation machine. Yes. And, you know, he we saw that he has tweeted that this movie is scary as hell, which is about the best compliment you could yeah. ever hope to get. You know, did you talk to him at all through the course of this? And were you nervous about taking on um, the story and making some some pretty drastic changes to his original text? Yeah, I think he, he was... I mean, he's he's the loveliest, most supporting person, and is really um, has really been a guiding light throughout this this whole process. And and um, yeah, I you know I think I think for something that that that, that veers so um, you know in, in so many different directions away from from the original source material, the the thing I was most worried about is that as we were adapting this story. Um, we were kind of uh you know i was afraid i was afraid that we were moving away from what was important about the story to him and i wanted to make mm-hmm. sure that we were building on the themes that he felt represented the story in a in a in a um you know in a, in a way that 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 kind of earned its earned its place and so we sent the script to him before we started shooting and that was re- that was really the most anxious um the most anxious thing because uh he's you know he's always open if he doesn't like something or if he feels like you've missed you know missed the mark and and he he really loved the script and really um uh responded in such a in such a beautiful positive way and sent us sent us some great thoughts on it and we we went into the shoot knowing that um knowing that this was something that he felt was worthwhile mm-hmm. um and then he did he did you know and I, I he he did the loveliest thing when we were on set uh which was he was he was taking out he was doing he was he was doing the book tour for one of his other books i can't remember what what the last one was but um he would occasionally and he didn't need to do this it wasn't like the question was about the boogeyman but he would he would pivot some of these interviews and talk about well i've just read the draft of of the new boogeyman movie and he then he would he would kind of like hold it up as being this great example of of um something that builds on and and does justice to one of his short stories and and kind of builds it out in a way that's worth that's really worthwhile and he would he would say these lovely things in uh in his interviews while we were shooting and um and I don't know if he I don't know if that was for us because he knew that we were in the trenches but it certainly helped boost morale and and you know we were exhausted midway into the shoot and and I would I would get one of these cuttings and kind of read it to the cast and crew and and just knowing that King was um was behind us and felt like what we were doing was worthy of of his short story um was was amazing and got us through and then we showed him the movie finally 
a couple of weeks before we locked the edit, you know, with enough time to to make any changes. And and he, we rented out a cinema for him in Maine, his favorite cinema. And <laughs> um, he went with his nephew and had a bucket of popcorn. And and uh, he, I was finishing the movie, so I wasn't there. I was in LA finishing, and uh, there was somebody from the studio sat in the back row watching him watch it. And he was giving me live text reactions, being like, being like. Stephen King jumped at the opening. <laughs> Stephen King laughed at this Amazing. joke, and um, <laughs> and then finally, you know, he 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 came out and of the of the film and sent just the loveliest note. This kind of like big long essay about how much he loved the movie and and the characters and um, you know, kind of just just made sure to made sure to kind of shout out all the different departments and um. And then the next day I woke up and there was an email in my inbox saying from Stephen King, from oh, Stephen man. King. And he sent me, he said, he said, Rob, you know, I'm still thinking about your movie the next day. And he, he wrote a whole bunch of other things that he, he, he loved about the movie. And then, and then the most surreal thing is he, at the end of it, he said, he said, I'd love to find something else to work on together. And, um, wow. and so, so, you know, he, he, he's been nothing but lovely the whole time. Um, and he's he's always he's always using his power for good. I think he's always shouting out like um, smaller independent horror movies mm -hmm. and interesting um, indie films that you should check out. And and you know he he'd actually he'd um, he'd sent a note about how much he liked hosting Dashcam back back when those movies came out. And 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 um, and Joe Hill was a huge supporter of host. Oh, yeah. He was one of the the early voices that really raised the stuff. So you know they those guys. Those guys are there, yeah. They're definitely a, a force for good in the in the the horror world and in the indie space. And and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, no matter what anyone else thinks of this movie, I'm, I'm it's it's it all it all the whole experience culminated for me there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, Rob, thank you so much for you know taking the time to talk to us. Mm -hmm. I I, I yeah. would have one last question, short answer. You mentioned you know he's like, oh, I'd be down to collaborate on another thing. Do you have uh, an, uh, a title that you'd been wanting to do? I mean, if yeah, I've been throwing this out a lot because I, I that, that there's a <laughs> bit of a right issue, and it's like it's like yeah. So I'm just throwing it out to the world. I'm <laughs> trying to manifest it because yeah. I, I, and this is what I this is what I wrote back to King. I said, you know, it, I, without hesitation, said I want to adapt the Langoliers. Oh man, Ooh, that would be great. Yeah. That would be yeah. fun. Would, yeah, which was one of my favorite short stories when I was when I was a kid. It's it's. Mm -hmm. um, you know there's obviously the, the tv movie which yeah. is yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes is 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 what it is and it's a lot of fun but it's definitely not the best most definitive take on that short story and i just think i just think there's a really scary um there's a really kind of scary kind of cosmic horror to be done there that that um that pays that story off uh and i've got a i've got a take on it that i'm really excited about and and uh it, yeah it's something something i something i've been thinking about for, for 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 many years so as soon as as soon as that window of opportunity um arose i i i pitched it and king was really excited about the idea of it and so it might it might be something we can figure out i don't know but but well, um i think it's i think it's a, yeah it's a future king classic waiting to happen well, I hope so. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that'd be that would be awesome. Fingers crossed on that one. We're gonna yeah. definitely, we'll definitely keep mentioning it. We'll just keep throwing it out there at the end of episodes. Yeah. It's just like, we'll so what do we think? We'll uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> please, Rob please. Savage is the Langoliers. Well, thanks again. Uh, mm -hmm. Good luck to everything. I mean, the movie's out now um, at this point because we're, yeah. you know, but this is, uh, how exciting is that? But um, good luck to everything and we'll we'll hopefully talk soon. Yeah, Maybe no, when I'm you're on press for the Langoliers, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad uh, we got to do this. Thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah, a lot. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right. There you have it. 50 minutes with the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah. Uh, I, I I love this guy. I, I know. Been, He's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I just really enjoyed chatting with him. And I, mm -hmm. I felt bad because he, he, you know, he mentioned he was jet lagged. So I didn't want to take too much time. But I felt like I could have talked to him for hours, just even just about the um, especially with what he was getting out with the shining in there, but, oh yeah. Um, I mean, I could have talked to him about assassination nation for an hour or two. That is so. true. That yeah. is true. I, I saw your eyes lit up when you, uh, you know, he responded to the poster and all. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, this is it. We, you know, the next episode we got is the, 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 the boogeyman review, yep. which you were on, right? I was. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, you know, I, I feel like I've been covering the boogeyman for a long time right now because <laughs> uh, I helped produce the the episode that we launched, um, you know, a few days ago, the the audio drama, and that's been the runway to that has been very fun and very uh, interesting. I did catch the film though, um, I, even though I'm not on the movie episode, I did want to talk a little bit about it just because I did watch the movie as a screener uh, when I was out in Point Reyes, oh, and, that's right, at, like a, at a house that we were staying at, and. I swear to God, both Sammy and I were just, we had the lights on the entire time <laughs> because it was this brand new place. And when you started watching the movie, the sun was sh shifting. And by the time we finished the screener, the, the, the it was dark oh, and we had shit. no lights on in the house. Mm -hmm. And so the movie to me, I just think because of that experience, definitely colored the experience for sure. of Just making it feel that much more scary mm -hmm. or that sc much scarier. But are you still scared of the boogeyman, even though you have to write about it and you have to cover it and record multiple episodes about it, Jen? <laughs> I get to do all of these things. Yeah, um, yeah. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I do still um, check under my bed, under my closet, not under my closet, in my closet. I check under my kids' beds and in my kids' closet every night because I am not going to get got by the boogeyman, you know? Yeah. That's not yeah. happening to me. I, do they believe in the boogeyman, though? Um. No, they don't really talk. They kind of stay away from the scary stuff. You know, they, whenever my son walks in the room, he's like, is it scary? Turn it off. Like, I think they're a little nervous about it. So they don't quite have an official boogeyman yet. Knock on wood. Cause oh, thank God. I think I'm scared enough for all of us, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still believe in the boogeyman. Um, yeah. I still can't, you, can you sleep with like the, the doors like slightly Fuck ajar, no. like the closet door? No, I can't no, do it. I can't do absolutely it. not. It's I don't not even like happen. to be awake with doors like that. You know? No, no. Oh. I even get to the point where, God, this is going on a tangent. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are just like, end this fucking episode already. Um, but I, I even get to a point sometimes if like right now, like where we're recording this, like all the lights are off, but the sun's kind of dimming mm -hmm. down. That's like, that's when I always think is like the scariest part of time of the day, just because I feel like the twilight hour is just. I digress. Well, anyway. that's the scariest hour in 1408, too. So Oh, it is yeah. true. Yeah, he hates it. I'm just actually I'm I'm really just Michael, not Michael Rothman, but Michael, Michael Enslin. Enslin. I'm sitting here yeah. with my, my my you know, my uh <laughs> I have a blanket in the corner that I'm gonna put over me in a second. But uh yeah. Anyway, don't put a blanket over you. I don't know if that's an awful seg, but we've got a lot more content. As I mentioned, we've got the Boogeyman movie review coming up this Friday. And after that, we are going to be talking to uh, Out for Blood, the we've got a really great interview with Chris Adams there. Uh, it's written a whole book about Carrie the Musical, so that'll be fun. Ooh. Yeah, Randall's doing that interview, so that'll be That's that'll be a awesome. good time. Uh, we're going to be opening up another bag of bones, so get ready for that. But the book this month, I know you're thinking, wait a second, we just finished Duma Key. That book is like 600, 700 pages. <laughs> Maybe some of you aren't even finished because we're going so fast. Well, start reading just after sunset because we've got a whole new collection of short stories. And I will say one of my favorite short stories by King is in that book. Which um, one? So, oh, I won't well, spoil let's just, it. Let, let's just say it's a kickoff. Let's just say we've actually talked about it before oh, on this podcast. Um, nice. Well, so, you all know so, which one of my favorites is in this one. So I cannot wait to talk about it. Is it N? It is in, yes. Okay. Yeah. What's funny is when we we were promoting uh, this month, someone was like, is Jen on the episode? Because I really want her to talk about N. Uh, so Aww. they clearly didn't get enough. So right. yeah, yeah. Well, I've got yeah. lots so, of thoughts. So Yeah. So you're on that one. I, have you started? I mean, you've already read this book. I've read it twice, a couple of times. Yeah. I have downloaded the Libby audiobook, but I haven't started it yet. So Okay. Well, I've... I've, I've chipping away at it but uh but first i got to get on the horseback and chase after crystal souls mm. but that's a different <laughs> podcast and different time for now though look just know that you're going to get a ton of content a lot of new content where you know we've unlocked a lot of stuff in, from the barons and we've put it in the main feed we're not doing that so much this month you're going to get all new content and you're going to get a lot of it mm -hmm. um but you know we always got surprises in store you didn't even know that we were going to interview rob savage but we did and here we are we had the episode so you're probably thinking, well, I could just subscribe to the feed and I'll know when the surprises happen. Well, sometimes we're not even just doing audio. We're doing other things. So you should probably follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Losers Club Pod or the Losers Club Podcast. Don't even have to write it down. Just search for us. You'll find us. And then if you're really feeling charitable, and I mean really charitable, if, you're, if you've are if you got a little bit of a mean streak, just 
zoom ahead 30 <laughs> seconds from now. But for those that are feeling charitable and thinking, God, this show is just a fucking five star <laughs> show, five nose show, then let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, we really love those bright red Pennywise clown noses. We don't, we like to give them to books, but we also like to give them to ourselves. Mm. So anyway, thank you for everyone joining us on our ride today. And thank you to our trusty editor, Kyle Rosevich, who okay. as always, he's, he's always just keeping us off the beam or oh, no, yeah. on the beam or is it off veering? He's keeping us from veering off the beam. That's yes. what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the straight and narrow thing. beam. Yes. 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 Because without him. Oh, you should hear we, what would happen without Kyle. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure, it, I, you know, look, it's, it's a little, it's a little messy and it's a little mm. wild and you know, that's why, that's how you love us though. So that's right. anyway, we've, uh, blabbered long enough, blabbered <laughs> about the Bozeman. So yeah. we're going to hit the dusty trails and we hope you see us over long days and pleasant night. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. This is the end of our show. For now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.